Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. After a victorious testimony of the overcoming of Daniel and his companions in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, God came in to show Daniel vision after vision concerning the world situation. An obvious question might be, why did God show Daniel all the visions recorded in chapters 7 through 12? Well, our life study today will focus on chapter 8 and will somewhat address this question. We can say this much, however. Throughout the ages, Israel has suffered because of the wars that have been raged in that region over the centuries. If we can see through the lens of history, we understand that primarily three great kingdoms and their successors have waged these wars. The Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. It's significant that the nation of Israel geographically sits at the exact intersection of these empires and has been the primary battleground of their ceaseless conflicts. All of this fighting and suffering has had a great impact on Israel and how it has engaged in God's economy. Well, sorry for the long introduction today, but this is a program that needs a little background and development so that we can really enter into the burden. And here to help us with all of that is Bob Danker. Bob, good to have you. And before you can return the greeting, I just would say you and I were talking just a moment ago before we began recording, and you gave us such a good summary of the first six chapters and their significance. I'd encourage you to uh, share that with all of our listeners. Yes, Chris. In the Old Testament, of course, we can see that God is moving in his economy to accomplish his eternal plan. And in the Old Testament time, the main people that he uses to carry out his move is the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. Of course, Israel's history is a long one, one with many ups and downs. When Israel is, let's say, up, that means the condition of Israel is quite good in relation to God, then God has a strong way to move. But Satan is always struggling to overthrow God's move. And to do this, he has to damage God's people and to cause them to become degraded. So this is what we see in the Old Testament history. God's people, eventually Israel, became very degraded. And God sent the Gentile nations to discipline, to chastise his people. So in a sense, it seemed that God was a failure. His people were corrupted by Satan, and they were actually judged and disciplined by God. But among the people who were in captivity in Babylon in the book of Daniel, the first six chapters, as you pointed out, we can see that Satan was not altogether successful. God still had a few overcomers among the degraded Israel and captured Israel through whom he could move. And one of those, the most prominent of those, was Daniel. Here we have the book of Daniel. In the first six chapters, we see the victory of Daniel and his companions over Satan's devices to corrupt these young Israelites and thereby 
effectively cripple God completely and give him no way to move. But God would never allow himself to be brought into that kind of situation. So he would always preserve some, even if the number is small, through whom he can continue his move. So that's what we see in the first six chapters. Daniel and his companions were preserved by God to be faithful to him and to overcome all the devices of Satan in his attempt to corrupt them. Then, beginning in chapter 7, God begins to show Daniel visions that relate to the world situation. So, as you mentioned, Chris, God moves through Israel, and Israel is in the midst of a situation in which it is surrounded by the Gentile nations. So we have the world situation. God uses the world situation and his holy people to carry out his move on the earth. Bob, Daniel penned this book somewhere around 600 B.C. in the late 500s or early 600s B.C. So we're talking now 2,600 years roughly from now back to that time. What we're going to talk about today were prophecies included in his vision, in his book, that were fulfilled maybe 400 years after Daniel. And yet those words in this marvelous book of the prophet Daniel are still relevant and still seem to be being worked out on the world stage even today, all this time later. It's just incredible, isn't it? It is, Chris. You know, one of the points made that we'll hear in this first section, how this little land of Israel was in this strategic location all these centuries ago, even millennia ago. And I was there once. I've been there many times. But once one of the guides pointed out we were standing on a particular place. And the guide said to us, okay, when you stand on this place, you're actually physically standing on the landmass of Europe, Africa, and Asia at the same moment. And she said, maybe that's why this has always been a place that's been fought over. It's quite something. It really is, Chris. All right. We're going to join Witness Lee as we pick up the visions in Daniel chapter 8. I'm going to read a little bit here. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and there was a ram standing before the river, and he had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, and no beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could deliver from his power. But he did as he pleased, and he became great. And while I considered this, there was a male goat coming from the west over the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes, and he came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran toward him in his mighty wrath. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged at him, and he struck the ram and broke his two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him. But the goat threw him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was none to deliver the ram from his power." Bob, let's join Witness Lee. I believe we'll find out a little more about this goat and this ram. We come to chapter 8. The vision concerning a ram and a male goat with its successors. Chapter 7, with the four beasts, Daniel just saw a sketch, a brief sketch, no details. Of course, some description concerning how and what those beasts are, but no details. The details are in the following chapters, especially in chapter 8 
and chapter 11. And these two chapters are in the details of what? Not in details of the Roman Empire, but in details of the Grecian Empire. Macedonian and Grecian Empire, according to its founder, Alexander the Great, only lasted the most about 10 years. It may be less. You know, Alexander the Great, he died so fast. But he has four successors. And these four successors, all of them got a kingdom. Eventually, these four kingdoms merged together into two. The one is on south, and the other is on north. Now, chapter 8, firstly, shows us how the Persian Empire became the Grecian Empire. Here in this chapter, the uh, Persian uh, Empire is likened to Rome, and uh, the Grecian Empire with Alexander the Great is likened to a goat. Persia is a ram, and Greece is a goat. Uh, you would say, then, what this kind of story has to do with Israel? My, I would say, poor Israel. All these fightings are in the territory of Israel. Now, this is why God has shown Daniel one basin, another basin, another basin, firstly to show him the four beasts as a sketch of the world situation. And this sketch is that a Babylonian empire, a Persian empire, a Greek empire, and a Roman empire. But the details still are needed. So chapter 8 follows. And then chapter 11 follows concerning the successors of Alexander the Great to be two kingdoms, south one, north one, and these two all the time were fighting. Whenever they fought, they fought through Israel. In other words, Israel is their fighting ground for Israel. Well, Bob, poor Israel. Uh, as you said, when Israel was in a low state, a degraded state, God's enemy seemed to prevail over them. But also there's this aspect of God and his sovereignty using the nations around Israel to somewhat discipline them, chastise them, to re-purify them and make them suitable once again for God's purpose, doesn't he? That's right. God is sovereign over all of the nations, and it really is demonstrated here by the visions seen by Daniel. All these visions were given to Daniel, as you said, centuries before they actually were fulfilled, except, of course, for the part that relates to the Babylonian Empire that was being fulfilled while Daniel was still on the earth. And I believe Daniel also lived into the Medo-Persian Empire. He was quite elderly at the time, but he saw that transition between Medo-Persia and Babylon. What he didn't see, of course, is the conquering of Medo-Persia by Greece. But all this took place in just exactly as world history tells us. All the details of these visions were fulfilled exactly. 
This shows, as one of the points in the book of Daniel makes, is that the heavens rule. It appears that men and human empires are ruling the earth, but actually God is ruling the earth. He is arranging all the situations, again, for Israel and for his economy to be carried out. But Israel, from the time of the Babylonian captivity, Israel has been in a rather low state, in a state of suffering. You look at the history of Israel and the Jewish people just suffering upon suffering throughout the centuries. Even today, they are struggling to maintain their existence. It's just a time of trial and distress for the nation of Israel. And Daniel was given these visions so that he could see what was ahead for his people who were actually God's people on the earth. So God showed him these visions so that he would know that Israel would be in distress because of the fighting between the Gentile nations that surrounded it. They used Israel as their fighting grounds when they battled each other. So Israel suffered and is still suffering because of this. Maybe to just... um kind of help those listening that may not have been able to follow all of these messages consecutively. Of course, you mentioned Babylon, which is the first great world empire referred to in the book of Daniel. Back in chapter 2, we saw that great human image with the four distinctive parts, each made of separate uh, mineral or material, the gold, the silver, the bronze, etc. And those represent these four great kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and ultimately the Roman Empire. Now, in this chapter, chapter 8, we have these four horns. Can you just uh, maybe relate what do these four horns have to do with what we saw in chapter 2? Well, the four horns of the goat signify the four generals of Alexander the Great. Of course, as history tells us, not long after Alexander came to the height of his power, he suddenly died at quite a young age. So his kingdom, in a sense, was inherited by and apportioned among four of his generals and became four smaller empires that were weaker than the Grecian Empire under Alexander had been. Then eventually, these four became two. One was Egypt in the south and Syria in the north. And it was the struggle between these two that passed through Israel and caused the great distress for the people of Israel. There's still distress for the people of Israel from participants from those localities, isn't there, Bob? There certainly is, Chris. All right, let's go back to Witness Lee. Out of one of the four horns come forth a little horn. (laughs) Of these four horns, that means four generals uh, forming four kingdoms, one smart little horn came forth. It was very close to Christ's first coming. He grew very great toward the south, toward the east, and toward that which is beautiful, signifying that he expanded very much toward Egypt, toward the south, and on the south, toward Syria on the east, and toward Israel, which is beautiful. And he caused some of the hosts and some of the stars to fall to the earth. And he trampled them, signifying that he became great in power, as high as the host of heaven. And he persecuted the saints, signified by the host of heaven and the stars. In all these evil things, he typifies the 
coming Antichrist. What he did will be the same as Antichrist will do. He grow in greatness to that of the prince of the host, the God. He grow in greatness to that of God. You are somewhat competing with God, somewhat touching God. And uh, from him, the daily sacrifice to offer to God was taken away. He stopped the offerings. And history tells us he just defiled the entire temple. He caused fornication there. He caused some peaks, shrines to be offered there. And the place of his sanctuary, that means the temple, was thrown down, destroyed. The temple, the first destruction of the temple was by Nebuchadnezzar. And this Antichrist, my, he just tore the temple down and defiled it to the uttermost because of transgression, because of whose transgression? The Jewish people's transgression. The royal family, the priests, the Levites, the elders, because of their transgression. And he cast truths down in the ground. No truths. That means no righteousness, no justice, and she took action and uh, prospered. Well, Bob, we're deep into visions of prophecy and their fulfillment in world history. We have these successors, these four generals, successors to Alexander the Great. And as we were talking earlier, actually the Persian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, did not last that long either. As you said, Daniel was present for the transition from Babylon to the Persian Empire. But the Persian Empire was overcome by this Greek Empire, and particularly this most notable character, Alexander the Great, who died after just a few years and was replaced by these four generals who were the four horns on the goat, the goat depicting Greece. And one of these bore a small little one, emerges. He's quite significant in history. This one who we know now, looking back through history, was really pointing to Antiochus Epiphanes. That's right, Chris. History tells us that there was such a person, Antiochus Epiphanes, from Syria, and he ruled, as Witness Lee pointed out, up to a time that was quite close to the time of the Lord's coming. Of course, we know that the Lord Jesus actually was born under the Roman Empire, So before the Lord came to the earth to become a man, the Roman Empire was raised up by God eventually to defeat and take over that part of the inhabited earth. And it was the empire that God used so much in his move to become a man and to spread the gospel all over that area that was ruled by Rome. So we have Antiochus Epiphanes. He was, as described in this vision, a very brilliant person, but a very evil person. He exalted himself, as most of these emperors do. They consider themselves nearly to be on the level yeah, of God. essentially deify themselves. <laughs> they deify themselves, which yeah. we saw, of course, the Roman emperors did. And they're very proud people, you know, proud of their accomplishments. So they exalt themselves. They behave in a lawless way. They don't fear God. They don't fear man. They do whatever they please, basically. So they do many evil things, and they oppose God, and they persecute God's people. And these are the things 
that this little horn Antiochus Epiphanes did. In fact, he defiled the temple. He put, instead of the sacrifices being offered, he offered swine. Right which were forbidden according to the Mosaic law. Right. So he defiled the temple. He absolutely profaned yeah. the holy things of God. He was a profane, evil person. Even committed fornication within the walls of the temple, just unimaginable things. Exactly. Yeah, so this one, more than just a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, we'll see in this third section today, as the little horn of the goat pointed to this one, Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus points us to another one who is yet coming. We'll learn a little bit about that in the final portion. Here's Witness Lee. His power would be mighty, but not by his own power, and he would destroy in an extraordinary manner. His power was mighty, but not by his own power. And by whose power? The evil one. Just like Antichrist. When he comes out, his power was by Satan. Actually, Antichrist will be the embodiment of Satan. It will destroy mighty men and the holy people. The holy people, that's Israel. Through his craftiness, he will also cause deceit to prosper. He could make himself so prosperous by deceiving people. And he would uh, magnify himself in his heart, and he would destroy many who were saying, peace, 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 who were complacently secure. Actually, they were not secure against the prince of princes, that's God. He would stand up, stand up against God. But he would be broken, yet not by human hand, by God, through the Maccabees. Here, doesn't mention anything about Maccabees, but you have to go to chapter 11, a big portion concerning Maccabees. In those atoms, also, he typifies Antichrist, the Maccabees, Gain the victory, they clean the temple. A day of cleaning the temple. The Jewish hero, Macbeth, would cleanse the sanctuary after defeating Antichrist Epiphany. This is chapter 8 to give Israel the details of these four successors of Alexander the Great. Well, Bob, it would be easy to get somewhat lost in the weeds in this portion of Daniel. I want to do our best not to and really try to hit the significant points, chief of which may be this past great one, Antiochus Epiphanes, the one who exalted himself, defiled the temple really is pointing us towards this coming one who will be, in a sense, a fulfillment of what Antiochus was doing at that time. And this one is the Antichrist that we read about in the New Testament in Revelation, isn't he? That's right, Chris. Especially in Revelation 13, Antichrist is portrayed as the beast who rises up out of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And he's also described in Revelation 17. So these two chapters tell us about this final emperor, let's say, the 
final emperor of the newly formed Roman Empire. Yeah, he's another Caesar, isn't he's he? He's another Caesar. He's the last Caesar of the Roman Empire, and he will rise up at the very end of this age, and the last three and a half years, and he will do the things that Antiochus Epiphanes did. Antiochus Epiphanes is a fitting portrait or type of Antichrist. So Antichrist will do the same things. Mm-hmm. And of course, he will profane the temple, and he will even put his own image in the temple and command that everyone should worship it, and those who don't, he will put them to death and so forth. He'll be a worthy successor, you could say, yeah. to Antiochus Epiphanes, even more evil. As Antiochus Epiphanes was cut off by God, Antichrist also will be destroyed, but he will be destroyed directly by the Lord Jesus in his coming again from the heavens. So Christ himself will destroy Antichrist and will set up God's eternal kingdom on the earth. Witness Lee made reference to chapter 11 in this context of the reigning and this desecration and going on by Antiochus. And then there are more details in chapter 11. And Witness Lee referred to a historical figure, Judas Maccabee, and those who followed him have become known as the Maccabees. And they led a revolt. They were Jews from Judea, and they led a revolt against Antiochus and overcame him and defeated him. And they're clearly alluded to. Of course, they're not named by name uh, all these hundreds of years prior, but they're certainly clearly alluded to in chapter 11. I'd like to close with just a couple verses that I think could be an encouragement for all of us, despite the persecution that we may be undergoing or what's happening in this dark and ever-darkening age. In chapter 11, verses 31, it says, And forces from him will arise and profane the sanctuary, we've talked about, establishing the fortress, removing the sacrifice, and they will set up abomination that desolated. But verse 32 is a key verse. And with his smooth words, he will cause those who act wickedly toward the covenant to be profane. But the people who know their God will show strength and take action. Bob, God needs such people, and we aspire to be such people. Exactly, Chris. We want to be the people that God needs and that God can use to advance his economy on the earth in our present day. Daniel and his companions were such ones in 6th century B.C. Judas Maccabee and his followers were such ones in the 2nd century B.C. And the Lord is looking for us to rise up and be such ones in the 21st century A.D. Amen. Amen. Bob, thanks for your help. I had some anxiety about this one, but you helped amazingly and marvelously as always. Look forward to your next time with us. Oh, I appreciate being with you, Chris, and I also look forward to the next time. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee ministered the Word of God for over seven decades. Many consider these life studies as his seminal work, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Spirit. If you'd like to find more about Witness Lee, these life study messages or any of the materials provided by Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. That's lsm.org. You can also email us, radio at lsm.org, 
or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Thanks for listening today.